0: The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. This is Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardim. Toronto's News, Today's Talk, 640 Toronto.
1: Welcome to the weekend, my friends. Thank you. Show about money about to begin for the next hour. Jack and I are going to help you have more money. That's what the show really is all about. Uh, Got a great guest, a couple of great guests as a matter of fact. uh, Help set the stage for 2023, Mr. Don Velo. Welcome back to the show. Don, of course, is a market technician. Uh, Him and I used to work at one of the big six banks, so I got to know this good man. And, well, we've been friends for over two decades. Uh, Happy anniversary, buddy. Yeah, thanks for the... Opportunity, Wolf. Always, always. Um, the January effect. Prior to me joining Bay Street, I remember listening to a lot of business radio when I worked in radio, and I uh, I learned about the January effect. Um, why don't you talk to share share with us cause from from an academic point of view, uh, what is the January effect, Don, uh, and how significant it is that January puts up a good showing? Because so far this year, we're off to a good start.
2: Historically, uh, it's the uh, last five trading days of the year plus the first trading, two trading days in the new year. Uh, whenever the markets go higher, that's an indication that uh, the U.S. equity markets will continue going higher for the rest of the year. And that that signal actually did happen this year. Uh, we did see the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average go higher during that uh, period.
1: Yo, you said it's the last
2: five trading
1: days of the year, so in fact, the last five days of December plus the first two trading days in January makes up the uh, state for the January effect, either up or down?
2: That's correct. Oh, no, I also was, thought I
1: thought it was the first week of January that sets the tone for the year, followed by the, the the month itself setting the tone. So starting the first trading day of the new year, you're saying in fact that uh, it's front end loaded. Uh, nonetheless, uh, look, we are off to a decent start again. Last year in 2022, it was the exact opposite, off to a weak start, and I need not share with you how the year ended. Now, again, friends, if you were partners with Jack and I, uh, we got through last year I think quite handsomely down. Mid single digits, I'd say, you know, down about 6% across the book. Uh, nothing to sneeze at. And Jack, you and I were up 20% three years in a row.
3: Uh, so that's so it's, Christian important, Christian yeah, it's important to highlight the fact that you're giving back some gains, but uh, you're certainly outperforming in a down market, which is, you know, bear markets are challenging. There's lots of landmines to step on. You talk about technology, multiple, you know, technology companies. I'm going to say COVID darlings were down 70 plus percent. Uh, we owned a few of them, but we cut them well before they uh, they trough. So uh, cut names when they weren't working and look for opportunities in energy and materials and a lot of Canadian centric stuff that did outperform on a relative basis last year,
1: yeah, yeah, and again, the uh, <laughs> giving back gains versus are you down <laughs> debate. <laughs> and Jack, I know, I knew I'd get you with that one because it's incredible. You know, clients who've been with us for ten years, and you know, we have very, very good clients who, who, who truly understand uh, the long-term ramifications and, and, and benefits of investing properly. Um, but again, if, you, if you've been in the game for ten years, you made a ton of money. Uh, our clients are up. Well, the of return, net of fees, is eleven percent. Uh, g- giving back five percent. Of off the peak, you're still up significantly, but no, I'm, I'm down a little. Five. Well, here you are, you're down 5% from peak, but you're only giving back a bit of gain. Uh, and it's part for the course. So I'm going to share with you, and uh, Don, I've been trying to encourage Jack to watch um, the Bernie Madoff miniseries on Netflix. Uh, Bernie Madoff, of course, the biggest fraudster in history, uh, defrauded. billion from American and international citizens. European uh, citizens were part of the the scheme uh, or the scam uh, and the fraud and the theft and all those bad things that it was. But uh, it's a very fascinating story. And again, what caught me uh, was was the old adage, Don, of if if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. Bernie Madoff's fund was up 96.2% of the time. Down just over 3% of the time, which is so not possible. So, again, Don, you've seen the market over and over again. Volatility has to be tolerated,
2: or not? Oh, yeah, def- definitely has to be tolerated. Uh, there are periods of time in the year when uh, the markets are particularly volatile, should we say. Uh, as, for example, uh, between the uh, beginning of January to the middle of uh, March is a very volatile period for the U.S. market goes up and down very sharply, but effectively he doesn't do, do anything. It ends up uh, with the S&P 500 making no return and the Dow Jones Industrial Average actually losing 1% uh, return.
1: I, yeah, I saw so, that work of yours. Uh, I always thought uh, basically the best time in the market was end of October, middle of October until May. Uh, but you've actually highlighted there's a bit of a window even in the sweet spot that tends to be a bit of dead money, uh, that Jan to March period. But Canada does tend to outperform in that period, doesn't it?
2: Ah, that's the important thing. That's the secret uh, news for people owning Canadian okay, stocks. Okay, okay,
1: don't tell them. Don't tell them Oh, sorry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Historically, the best time to own Canadian market is from uh, the middle of December right through until March the 3rd.
1: And why is that?
2: Well, a very good reason. That's when people are receiving their big bonuses for the end of the year, and they're taking a lot of those bonuses, and they're putting them into the stock market, into the uh, into their TSFAs and RSPs. And that pushes the Canadian market up significantly, particularly relative to the U.S. market.
1: And of course, the RSP season is the big season. But friends, again, do not do not make RSP season the big season. Average into the market, put buy, invest, work with your advisor on a monthly basis. As you get paid, you should put some money aside and invest it. Once again, the secret sauce. Is compounding. Sir Isaac Newton, or was it, um, was it Albert Einstein, Einstein? Albert Einstein. Well, Sir Isaac Newton. Close New- enough. They, they worked together. Smart. They're 300 years apart, but they did work together. and They thought together. Uh, but yeah, it's the eighth wonder of the world is compounding. Uh, and again, how long does it take to actually generate the true fruits of compounding? Jack and I talk about this every day in the office. It takes about 25 years. Friends, if you want to have a visual, you're going to draw a line across a piece of paper horizontally. And then it can slope upward like a green run on a ski hill, a little upward slope. But then all of a sudden it becomes a blue, a black, and a double black to the upside. That's what happens. If you, if you take a compounding chart and stretch it out 40 years, it looks like a hockey stick. Now, I'm going to say something else. Uh, we're about to do our quarterly um, or a monthly uh, client call, Don. In fact, we're going to send you an invitation to we have a very good package. Jack, please include Don in the call. Don, try to tune into our call. It's next Tuesday. It is exclusive to our clients. How about 300 clients or families that we take care of, 700 clients? This is exclusive to our clients who pay us uh, to manage our wealth, and uh, every now and then we do bring in a special guest. Don, we tune into it. But in it, we, ha- we had some data point from Bespoke. In terms of decades, and this is sort of like stocks for the long run, uh, there, there, there once was a period where there was no ten-year rolling losing period, ten-year rolling average losing period in the stock market. The tech wreck sort of killed that. So it became there's been, I think, the worst performance in a 20-year period. Jack is about up two or three percent, and the worst performance on a 30-year period for the stock market is up eight. I repeat, the worst performance on a rolling 30-year average for the U.S. stock market is up eight, and I think the average is up. 12 over 30-year period. I say the odds, once again, are stacked in your fever. Don, I want you to speak to that.
2: Yeah, I certainly agree that the longer term, uh, your best thing to do is own the market. In the, for example, you mentioned those numbers for the U.S. market. No, just uh, something add, added to that. There are actually times that you can, or certain times in the, say, the four-year presidential cycle, which are better to invest in others. Yep. Turns out the best year to own the US market is the third year of the US presidential cycle.
1: And we are in the
2: third year right of the now, US 2023,
1: cycle. third year of the market. It is the best year. So, again, Don, in my conference call, it's pretty funny. Uh, I, Jack often and, and uh, our partner Zach uh, put together a slide deck based on all the stuff we've read for the last 30 days. We put it aside. Put together a slide deck. They, and then they handed it to me for approval. And I went through the slide deck and 35 pages. Honestly, uh, give me a, a diamond. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to jump out the window. i has got to cut a hole so I can exit this building. I, I want to cut my wrist. It was like all negative. Everything was negative. <laughs> and I said, wait, we got to do something here. I can't, I can't speak pure negativity. And, and the reason being, my count's up. Our counts are up almost 5% this year. And I'm looking at the charts and they're pointing higher. So all the strategies, the economists, the data, recession coming, employment holding, but interest rates still stubbornly high, all negative. But the market is telling me something differently. Not all parts of the market, but certainly many parts of the market are pointing in the right direction. We'll throw gold in the equation. Big cap, Big cap tech tech stocks not looking good, high-priced, high-valuation stocks not looking good, but across the board, commodities look better, even the banks look better, insurance stocks look decent, travel stocks look interesting. Uh, There's a long list of better-looking chalk starts. So we start with a negative slide deck, Don, but then I start to talk about some of the positives, and the positives are the market. It's telling me something. Don, what is the market telling you right here, right now? There's a symphony taking place, I believe.
2: Yeah, it tells me uh, something different for each market. For example, for the Canadian market, it's very positive. We're in the period of seasonal strength. For the U.S. market, not so much until, say, the middle of March. But international markets, things like Europe mm. and, and also wow. particularly the Far East, are looking very, very attractive it's, right now. They're
1: huge. The, the The European market up over 20% from its low. No one's
2: talking about it. That's right, and it still looks very, very attractive relative to the U.S. market. So that tells you something. Uh, maybe not the best market this year for the U.S. equities side. Maybe look at uh, more Canadian, and maybe look at more international, particularly European and uh, Far East markets. Oh,
1: emerging Markets have been so I, tough. I I that's the reason why time. they're going to probably
3: perform, Wolf, is that we talked about it before in our conference call. You look at asset classes, and over time, things mean revert. So asset classes, whether it's large cap, small cap, commodities, um, Form, international, yep. all fixed income, long duration, short duration, all these different asset classes, they have their time in the sun. And the fact is, international equities have underperformed since the great financial crisis. Or longer, yeah. Europe is in the middle of a recession, and the stock market is up 20%. So that, Plus, does, yeah. that does speak to the fact that it, it can be a very challenging economy, which everyone expects. And the market can still perform relatively well, whether it's in Canada or the U.S.
1: Yeah, no question. Japan and Europe look much better. Uh, Big improvement. And they're in the depths of the recession. Fascinating stuff. Um, Another data point that we do have in our deck, and we are going to go to a quick break, get back to Don Velo. But, uh, Don, I want you to ponder this. Um, For the most part, uh, bear market lows, I think, unequivocally, have occurred in the middle Of a, or at least during a recession, Uh, yet we are not officially in a recession yet. Does that truly mean that the market has to go lower one more time uh, in 2023? Hang on to that thought, Don. Uh, Let's take a quick break, pay some bills around here, and get right back to Hi-Fi Radio on
0: 640 Toronto. Let's take a break. Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio on 640 640 Toronto. Toronto.
1: that's so what you got to do my friends truly you know <laughs> there's a lot of wisdom in buy and hold doesn't sound exciting uh, and honestly it is so not easy um but you know if you're investing you want to be in the game if, once you leave the game it is so hard to get back into the arena uh we've seen people try to do it um you know exit to, uh, during the height of covid exit during the height of uh, you know, the next recession coming. Um, sometimes they don't exit poorly, but they never get back in properly. And in true hindsight, should they have done it? Nope. It costs them money over the long term. We've seen it 100% of the time when people have done it. Jack, please, you want to pipe in here? I can see you. Absolutely. Jumping up and down. There's Go. times
3: when people take themselves out of the game, meaning they cash their chips in and they say, I can't stand this volatility. I got to come back when the markets are quieter and more calm. <laughs> and in that environment, things are more certain and valuations are higher. And then there's the other side of the equation, Wolf, where the game takes them out. And we saw some of that with crypto, mm, with meme stocks. You don't want to put yourself in a position Ever. with high concentration of leverage and high concentration of individual security selection. Yeah, we, we that, just that, broker, that can boy. actually take you out of the game. And you talk about compounding, you don't you don't allow time to work in your favor because you have nothing left. So the, the game can take you out too, Wolf. It's a good point to make. Uh, so, Don... Um, you
1: know what's amazing is market technicians, guys who look at charts uh, and cycles, so we know two of them uh, who are true pros. You're one of them, Don, and then, of course, there's Jabid Mirza, our own in-house technician, who you also know. Um, the, sentiment yeah, from so the, the sentiment from the technicians is perhaps a new bull market's beginning. Things are looking quite interesting here. When you speak to strategist upon strategist upon strategist, they're negative.
3: Yeah, anyone looking at the fundamentals right now is negative because they see an earnings recession in the next quarter, maybe two. Yeah. But the charts are telling you something different. The price, the volume, uh, the charts, as you said, that, that Don focuses on is telling a very different story. And than the seasonal
1: last back. So, so Doug, Don, tell me, so what do you think, Don? Again, we sort of know what you think, but speak to all of it. Speak to the technical side of things and speak to the economic backdrop and the fundamental side of, you know, earnings rolling over perhaps in 2023.
2: Historically, the bottom of the uh, four year presidential cycle is the second year of the presidential cycle. And of course, that was uh, last year. Yep. And we're following this pattern to the T. We mm-hmm. had important lows in Canadian and U.S. equity markets right around the middle of 2022. And uh, now, from here on, the markets have a history of moving higher throughout the four-year cycle. Now, the reason why we had these lows last year was because of, of uh, concerns about in inflation and the Fed's uh, action to reduce inflation. Fortunately, uh, the inflation uh, data has, in the U.S. has started to roll over. In fact, we just had an important report coming out uh, earlier last week uh, the producer price index which showed a much larger drop in inflation pressures than previously expected. That's setting up the stage for the Federal Reserve to stop uh, cutting back money supply, uh, and once again, setting up the economies to improve. Now, that's not quite the same in Canada. Look for next week, the Bank of Canada to raise the the, uh, lending rate to the banks one more time. But that probably will be the last uh, increase in interest rates in Canada, and the increase in u.s probably will peak out early in february but that's setting up the stage for uh the peaking of inflation and ultimately an improvement in the economy so we're we're setting up for a pretty good move in the second half of 2023 in both u.s and in canadian equity markets
1: okay so i want to to talk about the boring business of the bond market um funds have been negative or were negative two years in a row. There has never been a period in time when bonds went negative three years in a row. Uh, Why talk about bonds? Why why do bonds matter? Bonds are ballast in your portfolio. They keep you in the business, they keep you in the game, uh, and they prevent you from getting shaken out once again Generally speaking, when stocks go down, bonds tend to go down a lot less and often, in fact, go up when stocks go down. Uh, So I repeat, bonds often go up when stocks go down. Not always, but often. But they are the ballast and more stable part of one's portfolio. I now say especially when bonds are trading down two years in a row the likelihood of making money in bonds is that much greater And jack is the expert in talking about mean reversion you're very good at that jack uh, i.e one of the reasons why you believe europe is going to perform well because it's underperformed for so long it simply has to mean revert so the 60 40 portfolio was a standard portfolio that was basically applicable and suitable to most people uh, for the last two decades, I'm to say it wasn't that appropriate, but it, it did work. Nonetheless, 60-40 portfolio means 40, 60% of your money in stocks, 40 in bonds, and you leave it alone. And it works until bonds don't work. Last year was the one year where both stocks and bonds went down. How do you feel, Don, about the bond market right here, right now? Uh, would you continue to be underweight bonds or would you be more of a 60-40 kind of a guy if that was your interest in the first place, a 60-40 portfolio?
2: Yeah, looking at the chart on the U.S. bond market, I'm looking at the TLT, which is the longer-term U.S. Treasury note, and it's interesting how if you had invested in that security, it's appreciated quite significantly just during the last two months. Yeah, Number, how much is
1: up done off the bottom?
2: Okay, the bottom was reached uh, right around the beginning of November, around uh, the 92 level. Yeah. And right now, that particular bond is trading at 108. So I
3: looked at it. It was around 17% off of the bottom. Yeah. And plus, if if you expect yields to go lower because the economy is slowing, which traditionally, that's what happens. Yields go lower as the economy slows. You'd expect further capital appreciation in that long bond. So the the question that you had, will bonds uh, have three negative years? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no on that one. And so Don,
1: Don it, do you think you can buy bonds in here and tuck them into your portfolio? And if you do that, will they do what they're supposed to do, provide some ballast to your portfolio?
2: There's a very good chance that you will get additional appreciation in bonds because what we're seeing is interest rates in both Canada and the United States in the long-term bond markets are starting to come down.
1: Yeah. and why that the bond prices higher.
2: That's exactly
1: correct. But it's incredible, again – the, the TLT, and it's friends, if, if you're curious, it type, type it on your computer, TLT. It's the long bond index. It's a 20-year-plus bond index. So basically it would have some 20-year, 20 21, 22, 23, 24, 20, We're up to 30. It's the longer end of the bond curve. It's not just the 30-year bond. But – Again, people think bonds are boring. Uh, Last year, they weren't boring, unfortunately, to the downside. But to to buy a bond at $92 and sell it at $108 in a matter of two months and make a 17% return in this interest, it's quite fascinating that you can actually pull that move in bonds. Not the intention. Don, my question to you, do you think if you were to buy even the TLT or some corporates or a little basket, a little bond mutual fund or bond ETF, a basket of bonds, do you think you can make 5% compound over the next five years? I think you can.
2: Yeah, I think the odds are very good because the uh, rates are still coming down and uh, there's a pretty good chance that you'll see bond prices uh, would not move significantly higher, but there will be enough to... But you got to get the coupon the, and some I was, capital appreciation. I you, you, exactly. You, traditionally, what your return
3: is if you hold the bond to maturity is whatever the, whatever the yield is. So if you're buying a, a 5% yielding bond, Hold it to maturity. You get 5%. That that is your return. Hold on. Alabama (laughs) (laughs) Shanks. Alabama. And you know what? I do the music for a reason around here, guys. But the fact is, you can get some of that return front end loaded if the economy slows down, if inflation starts to to roll over, as it seems like it is, then you don't have to potentially hold it for the, the longer term to realize that gain.
1: Yeah, no, and again, when you open up some of the bond indexes or a bond fund, you realize how complex they are. Uh, I I dare not try to build a bond portfolio. I could not do as good of a job as some of the international money managers. Uh, The bond market is, my friends, opaque. Uh, Don't ever forget that. I do strongly recommend you allow the experts who have access to such inventory of bonds internationally to do a bond portfolio. That's the proper type of portfolio. Uh, when it comes to equities, Jack and I do a very fine job picking those. Again, why? Because my partners like Don Beal helping us on. Uh, indeed. Uh, do we have much time left for the hit? Are we running out? Sorry, plenty of time. We got more. We got more time here, Don. So uh, let's carry on. Uh, g- give us your wild call for the year. Uh, year 2023, third year of the presidential cycle, off to a good start. Coming off of a moderate base, uh, you know. In other words, this, the U.S. market was down 20 percent last year. Jack theory, mean reversion. Um, how do you think the year is going to play out, Don? And what type of volatility? Do we have to endure, and you you obviously don't believe a new low is going to be made? what kind of downside risk do you see uh, we have to endure this year?
2: Yeah, what we're looking at is uh, should we say a very very volatile period between now and uh, probably the middle of March uh, for both the u s and Canadian markets with the Canadian market outperforming the u s market quite significantly uh, mm-hmm. but after you get past that, then there's got lots of reasons to believe that. Uh, economies will start to improve. Once again, we get past the COVID problems and you're going to see equity markets right around the world uh, improve quite significantly. On average, during the third year of a U.S. presidential cycle, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, this goes back to 1930, has gone up 14% per period. So uh, that's something to look forward, particularly in the second half of this year. So that's uh, one thing, but don't forget international markets. Things like the chinese market they're just starting to come out of oh oh, oh. (laughs) i remember that 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 tone of mine
1: friends at home tells you you probably should buy because i ate it uh and that's that's what makes it such a difficult one and difficult trades are often the best trades true or false don
2: yeah they certainly are because often uh, it's hard to follow all the markets around the world the key is you want to follow the easiest way, way of playing these investments often that means uh Owning exchange traded funds, for sure. example, if, you, if you're going to play Europe or if you're going to play Asia, just buy an ETF for that sector. And uh, uh, if you, whereas in Canadian markets, the U.S. markets, we have greater knowledge of individual companies, see so me want to but choose. It, look, it's done.
1: So Often, what happens to us when we look international? The news comes to us late, or because we're not in that market, it's a foreign market. So foreign news takes time to cross the pond. Even in this day and age of zeros and ones and connectivity, we. We focus on our home bias, and here it's in North America. It goes south of the border as well. That's our home bias. That's what we pay attention to. By the time Europe moves 20%, I become aware of it. Now it's up 20. Uh, and then I tend to, I've often then bought the, bought the chase and only to see it roll over and get back and me put my tail between my little wolf legs. Um, so I ask you again, do you think at these levels you can make some money going long? Europe to begin with, and then maybe in, the, in China, from these levels?
2: Yeah, my preference is to go to the Far East, because as uh, you're right, the European market's already taken a huge run during the last little while. I think the, uh, the Far East market, uh, that means Japan, Taiwan, South Korea, China, uh, Vietnam, these are all economies which are starting to show some really signs of significant recovery, uh, now, the, the easier way of doing it, for you let me, let me give you an example of one ETF that you can do it. Symbol is AIA, that is an exchange-traded fund for the Far East, so, or, or Asia, Asia. So, just yep. by by owning that one asset, you get a kind of a overview for the whole thing. So that's that's kind of an interesting way of doing it. Uh, but the key is to, as you mentioned, you invest in these things. Uh, for a period of time, you don't invest it for a long period of time. Yeah, so
1: when I'm talking about hold on, folks, I'm talking more about in the broad market. But again, part of the way to hold on successfully is try to trade around the market, uh, work, stick with what's working, what's about to work, and you know something's not working. Well, you have to some point say goodbye to it. Uh, so, those looking for new ideas, new edge in the game, Don Velo. Market technician, uh, philanthropist as well, volunteer. Are you still uh, uh, volunteering, driving cancer patients to and from their uh, treatment, Done.
2: Actually, no. The reason is because of uh, COVID. They've closed down their operations here in Oakville. Oh. And so uh, th- when they do become fully open, uh, my wife and I plan to res- resume our our services at
1: at, that location. God bless you for doing that. That's a beautiful service you provide. That's true boots on the ground, my good friend. Uh, Once again, have a great weekend, Don. Thank you for spending some time with us. We're going to get into the behavior of finance. Jack Behave. Mm -hmm. Hi-Fi Radio, 640 Toronto. Stay tuned.
0: Don't go anywhere. There's more Hi-Fi Radio in a moment. On 640 Toronto.
1: Hey, you are now a professor of Wall Street trade <laughs> analytics. Give you some Michael Schenker there, buddy. Did it work?
4: It, it definitely works. I uh, I was trying to catch the uh, yeah the doctor connection. I mean, in in a way, I'm a doctor of uh, instead of diagnosing you know um, cancers, I diagnose trade biases and uh, people
1: I need help, uh, man. I, I need. I, I totally need help. It's <laughs> tough. You know, it, it's funny. I, I, we're sitting there on a loss, uh, Medtronic chart looks bad. The, the research analysts are getting really cold on the name. It's great business. Uh, they make hips, they make knees, but they're not executing very well and the market doesn't like it. And two days ago, I wrote it down, said this name should be sold. Day later is a little lower. Day later is a little lower. I said, why don't I just sell it? I know it looks lower, but I don't. I wait and wait and wait. And it's difficult uh, to, to, to 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 admit and to accept being wrong. Hey, We're supposed to be smart guys. We don't like being wrong. So." Your your, your trade analytics software and and, and processes is very, very intriguing to someone like me. I'm going to ask you, does it work? Does it it truly help uh, advisors uh, have a better understanding of their uh, biases that they have that cost them money? Mm -hmm. Well, you, you
4: nailed it on the head mentioning the ego part. And especially us guys have a tough time seeking help. I mean, we don't even go in for our physicals for the most part, much less do we want to go in and have our decisions analyzed uh, by this uh, algorithm. But absolutely, if you are able to take feedback and you are coachable, which, by the way, is what made Michael Jordan the star that he he was and probably still is, was the ability to be coachable. So that condition is is a prerequisite. If you're coachable and humble enough to say, you know what, I can be better and and tell me how I can be better if I want an edge, I want to serve my clients better. That's the first prerequisite because people that don't have that, no matter how much information you give them, they're not going to listen. They're not going to admit to any any possibility. The data that I could present to a person like that would show them the invisible biases that they have because what we do is we quantify the bias. Like the one you mentioned being down on Medtronic. Okay. So if you found a better allocation of capital opportunity, you would cut your losses. But because of loss aversion, A, and meaner version, people mean oh it's coming. They think, oh, it's coming back. It's coming back. I don't want to do the hard thing and cut the loss. I can show you analytically what that's cost you over time because we have a metric called buy-loss performance. And it just shows basically what the performance has been of all the buys, all the sells. And we have a objective uh, data set that can show you every type of decision you make, what the return has been on that sub-portfolio. And then you can have a conversation. You can decide, do I need to make better decisions? Where do I get tripped up? Is there a pattern? That's the beginning of really, really conquering the biases, understanding your emotions, and using objective data to make decisions for the benefit of your
3: portfolio. You got that, Jack? I got it. And you know what? Being coachable is very important. Almost makes a great point there. So, mm-hmm. Amos, when you present these facts uh, to the advisors or to whatever investors you're um, working with, what is their response? Uh, what's the typical response of, a? am going to say, an unsuccessful investor and then a successful mm-hmm. investor? Because honestly, everyone can improve.
4: Absolutely. Uh, You see uh, the unsuccessful people who who actually pony up and have the conversation. They will initially be resistant. And then you say, I can trace the decisions that led to this massive loss over time. And and rookies are quite different from experienced people, but I can tell you guys what most rookies do, and that's loss chase. They make a bad asset allocation at the very beginning. They see a loss. And what they'll do is because it feels bad to be in a loss position, instead of thinking clearly, would I invest in this if I weren't in it already, they'll double down. And then it keeps going down, and it, so they're, they're catching falling knives all the way down. And essentially, you know, they will. Those are the, the kinds of self directed or even advisors who will uh, try to leave the profession because they've lost so much money.
1: <laughs> Simply, we, just, we just know someone like uh, we just know someone did just. That. They were averaging yeah. down in Shopify. They built a big position. They kept buying. And, yeah. and, and guess what? They truly walked out the business. Uh, and it was amazing. They had a great year a couple of years ago. but That goes uh, to
3: the initial point, though, Wolf, being able to admit that you're wrong. You know, if you're very you don't need to be a super highly sophisticated individual and intellect to be able to invest in the market. You need to you know, be able to take a measured response, look for opportunities. You know what? Admit, maybe I just made a mistake. Move on, find a better opportunity.
1: You know, one of the greatest quotes I ever picked up, and I repeat it to Jack all the time, is trade what you see. And again, I don't like the word trade, per se, because I prefer the word investing. I, I, mm-hmm. and Jack and I are both very patient individuals. Uh, we have no problem holding on for the long haul. But again, holding on when the trend's going up is one thing. You don't want to necessarily hold on when the trend has broken. Uh, and to use another... I come back is, 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 is the, the right mantra. So I repeat, trade what you see. But often what you see is in conflict perhaps to what you believe. So I want you to speak about that trade. You see a trend taking place,
3: but you just don't believe it. I'm gonna say you take another sports analogy, right? Hockey, right? It's a game of offense, a game of defense. The, the, The game, the transition is what really matters. Where the game transitions, where you go from offense to defense, defense to offense. If you can do that effectively, you will be a good hockey player to use the sports analogy. Same with investing. You need to pivot when you recognize that, okay, meme stocks are finished, they're done. Technology is rolling over. Where is the opportunity? Was it energy? Was it materials? Was it financials? Look for different opportunities in the markets because they do present themselves. You just got to open your eyes.
1: Well, the pivot is is very, very key. Uh, Trading what you see uh, sounds easy. But, Amos, you are the Mm. behavioral finance expert, the doctor in it. Why is it so difficult?
4: You know, human nature, guys. uh, We're not... uh optimized for the environment that we're in <laughs> in lots of ways. I mean, we could talk about this no, in terms of di- diet. We could say, you know, the, the the foods that are available to us in such plentitude and in low cost are are the types of molecules that were very scarce uh, in previous societies. And so you wonder, a lot of the health issues that we have today is that we now binge on those things because they we're, our sensors are, we get such a big neural reward from those things.
1: Okay, but uh, by, by, by okay. the way, Health Canada <laughs> says two drinks a week now. Please. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Two drinks a week. I got a problem with that. I got, I got a real problem. I got a wine cellar at home that's going to last me three lifetimes at that pace, buddy. I'm going to be creating vinegar. Be like, I'd be using it for cooking. Almost like we have to take a quick break, but I want you to hang on to that, what you're talking about. Uh, this Hi Fi Radio, show about money. We try to have some fun around here, weave in some cool tunes, uh, help educate. And again, it's a bit of a boring topic, so we try to make it fun. Um, you know, something, I love what I do, and so does Jack. And that's why we keep going to work. Help you out. Stay tuned. Hi-Fi Radio 640, what city? Toronto.
0: Want to make more money? Stay tuned for more Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.
1: Welcome back. Yeah, off air, Jack was talking about uh, putting your name on a big stadium, talking about uh, the big crypto exchange scammer, FTX. Bernie Madoff didn't put his name on a stadium. <laughs> didn't need to. Pure, pure fraud. But uh, we saw it here at home, Research Emotion, having a staff party, booking the Skydome, it was, I think, at the time, and booking Van Halen in. Can you imagine a corporate party like your staff? Why you guys, are going to bring in Van Halen. Uh, good golly. Well, it's usually it's the mark of a top. Uh, it's just a mark of okay, things really can't get any better. And if they don't get any better, they're probably going to get worse. And that's exactly what happened to research in Motion. Uh, and obviously with FDX. He's, well, I was going to say cri- it again:
3: crypto assets. So almost, uh, I would say you're an expert in the space. Uh, talk to us mm-hmm. about digital assets, where they're at. What, what, what's your view on it? Uh, obviously, new technology, and you know what, it's not unique for you uh, a new technology to go through this type of downdraft, and then mm-hmm. obviously flush out some of the weaker players, and then the real uh, businesses um, float to the top. So anyways, long-term, what do you see for digital assets, where they're at now, and where are they going?
4: Yeah, well, great. that's a great setup. I mean, this idea that there's there's a lot out there that's thrown around. You can think about a close analog being uh, the, the technology uh, boom of the late 90s, you know, came all crashing down and that whatever survives will thrive in the long term, you can look at uh, Amazon and Google and those that that actually do deliver actual meaningful Mm. fundamental value to investors long term. When we get into what's different about digital assets is that, first of all, that term is is a bit of a misnomer in a way because an asset has a definition and is associated with a fundamental value. Blockchain technology, which is an an incredibly efficient way of communicating across parties with zero trust, is a different thing than cryptocurrencies. And so we we even use these terms. We have to be pretty specific about what we mean. Uh, and in cryptocurrencies, which we when we throw out the word crypto, we typically forget about the blockchain technology with its actual business application. We're talking we're talking about Dogecoin and, and Bitcoin and Ether uh, Ethereum, all that stuff. And if you actually look at it, and I spent two years in the space as the first chief economist of crypto, and if you look actually at what these coin camps these specific coins are they just copy the code base from github put it on another repository on their github and slap a different sticker on it and say we are a different coin like it's an actual copy paste and now you've invented something like is there a business in that is there fundamental value in that yeah it's called so xerox it's a opportunity <laughs> it's, well yeah you are copying something but the copy is not worth anything so my view of cryptocurrencies is like the most incredible opportunity to take advantage of people's innate excitement about new things and the rise of technology that enabled people to act immediately on the impulse is what made it the greatest bubble. and uh, made Sam and these other, you know, other founders of these exchanges extremely wealthy using a human weakness and lack of an innate due diligence ability because the distance between decision and action is very limited uh, nowadays. We're in the old days, you know, during the Mississippi Company bubble or tulip bubbles, there were like multiple intermediary steps you had to do to part with your money. Now, create an account, five minutes, you know, money comes out of your account, and next thing you know, you now quote unquote own an asset. Huh. So, so technology gave way to lubricate the you know the path for people to dump their money into these into these scams. Essentially,
1: it made it too easy, didn't it? In many many ways, it's interesting because. Having a part of the theme of the day is okay. If you wanna have something to talk about and be a part of the conversation and get a bit of the endorphin rush, it's okay. The key is what Jack said at the very beginning, concentration risk. Too much of anything can be very, mm-hmm. very toxic and take you out of the game. And this brings me back to my little home renovation I did during COVID where I had a locksmith. I respect every profession. I respect hardworking people. Muchos respect to anyone who goes to work. Window cleaners, uh, to, to garbage people, everything in between, lots of respect. And he said, yeah, my crypto assets are down over $500,000. I sent $500,000 to a man who drives around in a van and installs and repairs... (laughs) Locks, Schlag locks, basic locks. How much is this Mm. guy making an hour? 30, 40 bucks, maybe 50 if on a good day. I don't know. Uh, uh, How many locks does he have to replace to make up that loss? There's no reason why, you know, that average working person should have a half a million dollars in crypto assets. Mm. They should have a nice, diversified, boring portfolio of some pipelines (laughs) and some banks and some blue chip tech stocks and some railway stocks and some all those pay dividends, by the way. Basic stuff that you understand. You, you Guys, you drive right by Tim Hortons. Any lineups? Hmm. Maybe not a bad company to buy a big lineup. A lot of people buying that stuff. That's the type of stuff Jack and I like to own. Small amounts of it. And it turns out to be a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful potpourri.
3: Well, those businesses, Wolf, are based off of cash flow. When you own them, as, as a business owner, right. they actually pay you cash. Because they sell something. Exactly. A little cup of coffee. Things that people want. It's called demand. Supply demand. Right. Those types of things. Back to fundamentals. Back to uh, economics. Uh, Almost. you made a comment mm-hmm. there. Uh, crypto being the the greatest bubble uh, in history, mm-hmm. do you see some of these names recovering uh, from it? So Ethereum and I'll say Bitcoin—they're the two leaders. Are they going to recover from this? Mm-hmm.
4: So when you say recover, uh, I don't think it's going to hit that that uh, the previous spike. Like I think that mm-hmm. these are unfolding stories, and Ethereum yeah. is is technically, or I'd say, technologically distinct from Bitcoin. Like no. their their te- underlying technology is different. Like, they're, they're lumped together, but, but they are radically different. If you actually do the due diligence on them, you, you see they're, they're quite different. Bitcoin has not particularly evolved. Ethereum tries, you know, to evolve to meet demand and, and to use an, an adjunct, you know, sort of uh, gas to use, to use the blockchain. Uh, the, the price of the asset doesn't reflect the fundamental value of the asset. So when you ask about recovery, what I think about, will there be convergence between the market price and some sort of fundamental value? The market price, visible, everybody can see that anytime. The fundamental value of this thing, this quote unquote asset, that is TBD, to be determined. Uh, And it's not gonna be generating a cash flow, that's not what the currency does. These entities, these exchanges, these decentralized exchanges, these places where you stake your currency, they attempt to create a cash flow from staking your coins in that space. But that's not the currency itself producing, that's an intermediary taking advantage of essentially a spread and then loaning the money out. But when you ask about price recovery, I'm saying the, the question is, what is the technology delivering and is there a cash flow that would be delivered to a, to a holder of the asset? I don't, I don't see that.
3: There are, I would say there are other stores of value that don't create cash flow. You look at gold. Uh, art, you look at gold, those are, those are you know, traditionally things that people look at as non-traditional, non-cash flowing assets that are a store of value. Is, is Bitcoin mm-hmm. in that category?
4: That argument has been made many times. Michael Saylor, Mark Cuban, the list is quite long, and the people that say it is a store of value. But but those objects you mentioned just now, gold is actually has tremendous physical use in electronics, in even dentistry, in jewelry. It is used. It has has a functional use in our in our in our world now. Factories use gold. Artwork people like to come see, and they'll pay to go see that, or they'll pay to resell it. When they say Bitcoin is a store of value, it's saying that money is sitting in it. Uh, but it, it has no intrinsic value in the same way that gold or art does. And so I, w- I would love to invite somebody to, to argue. I'd love to hear the other side of it, but I have found it to be a fairly unconvincing argument because, and I'm quoting Warren Buffett here, he's saying, the only value you're getting in holding and speculating this asset is what somebody else will pay for it.
3: Yeah, but that's it the greater fool theory.
1: Hi-Fi Radio, 640 Toronto. That's it. We're done for the week. <laughs> We will be back next week right here on 640. More guests. Jack, my producer. Great job as always. Amos Nadler, the professor of Wall Street. I am the Wolf on Bay Street. Any questions, you can check us out. WolfonBayStreet.com. WolfgangKlein.com. I'm sure if you Google. uh, Yes, we still use that little tool. Google Amos Nadler. You can find a little bit more about his trade analytics software. Uh, Very, very intriguing stuff. Uh, But as we said, the trend is your friend uh, may it be on your side and may the wind be at your back have a great weekend and I will speak with you next Saturday right here on 640 in Toronto
0: you've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardill portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management for questions about today's show or any questions about money email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com Hi-Fi Radio for the love of money join us again next week